Welcome to episode 8 of Babe and Brilliant. I'm Scintilla Chingayipe. There's very little that Yasmin Abdul-Majid hasn't done yet. She was named Queensland's Young Australian of the Year for 2015. She's a mechanical engineer, writer, social advocate and self-described petrol head. At 16, she set up her own not-for-profit organisation, Youth Without Borders, which aims to improve access to opportunity and enable young people to work for positive change in their communities. She's been named one of Australia's most influential women, writes for various publications, shakes things up on the ABC's popular Q&A programme regularly, and speaks around the country inspiring other young people to live life fully and with purpose. She literally is the definition of an overachiever, in the best possible way, and the world is certainly a better place because of her enthusiasm when tackling some of the most challenging questions in our community. And she by far has one of the coolest jobs in the world, working as an engineer on an offshore oil and gas rig. She's pretty much as badass as they come. I began by asking her, just who is Yasmin? Who is Yasmin? Um, It's a funny question because I think it maybe sometimes depends on my mood. But I think I describe myself in a couple of ways. Broadly, a bit of a a Mediterranean mongrel when it comes to my background because I'm from all over the place. I was born in Sudan. My family is a mix of Egyptian and Turkish and I grew up in Australia. But I suppose I'm also a bit of an experienced junkie or an adventure junkie in that I like trying out different things and immersing myself in different worlds. If people asked what kept me busy, it would be my day job. I'm a mechanical engineer and I work on oil and gas rigs. But I'm also a really passionate social advocate. So somebody who I care a lot about issues and I care a lot about um, a number of specific things and I like telling people and trying to agitate for change. Okay, let's start breaking that down in in elements. Let's go to the the bit about your identity. You talked about being a mixture of all these wonderful cultures. How do you forge your identity given that you do have so many cultures within who you are? It's an interesting question, the question around identity. And I think it's something that I've thought a lot about uh, recently and growing up, but I'm in the lucky position perhaps of seeing it in the way that rather than, you know, I'm brought up in a particular way at home and society, the society I live in expects something else from you, but it's about the opportunity to pick and choose what you want to be and what's valuable to you. And I think I've only really maybe been brave enough to do that in the last couple of years. Um, once I sort of got my own job and started living my own life in a way, started figuring out what was actually important to me and not what other people told me were, was important. Um, and so I think it's, incred- it's we're an incredibly, we are in an incredibly fortunate position in a place like Australia, particularly if we're a migrant or the daughter of migrants or the son of migrants, in that, you know, we we can sort of call upon such um, a a rich and varied background to choose from essentially and say, what are the things I care about and what are the things I value in in the way that I've been brought up or what are the the things I value broadly from that I've learned and picked up from broader Australian society and how can I make that um, part of who I am? And I think that also um, fits into my identity as a Muslim because I think the fact that I'm Muslim is a huge part of how I see myself and how I live my life. Um, And I think we are 
in a time and place where we're creating the Australian Muslim identity in the same way that you've got the Sudanese Muslim identity and the Pakistani Muslim identity and the Indonesian Muslim identity, and they're all slightly different. I think there's an Australian Muslim identity, and we're figuring out what that means. So it's exciting. I mean, but it's of course it's, it's sometimes difficult because you're not always going to be like everyone else around you, and you have to learn to be okay with that, and you have to learn to sort of decide um, what drives you. Is it is it acceptance of the from people around you or is it um internal kind of pace or internal um morals and values that are going to be your guides so how do you deal in situations where people want to impose their views of what they think you should be look there are always people that are going to impose uh their views on me and, and on how i should live my life and some of those matter more than others and i think for me it's been about figuring out whose opinions matter and whose uh, critiques and criticisms I'll take on board. So, the, you know, broadly, um, and, and particularly once you start sort of speaking more about issues in the public space, there'll always be people that disagree with you. But for me, it's been, okay, who are the people that I care about? Whose opinions do I care about? And that's been my parents most of the time. My parents are people that I highly, highly, highly respect. And I do care about their opinion. And you know, although I might do things that they disagree with, by and large, I want them to be accepting of, of what I do. And by and large, they have been. Sometimes it's taken longer for them to accept certain decisions I've made, particularly when it's really challenged um, the way they were brought up or, or, you know, Sudanese, Egyptian sort of cultural expectations. But um, when it comes to values and, and sort of those morals, my parents' opinions um, matter quite a lot. Broadly, as well, like in the in the Muslim community, this is also tricky because I think quote unquote ethnic communities can be quite judgmental, and you can you can go about living your life trying not to sort of not to be seen doing the wrong thing by the community, um, trying to sort of stay on stay on everyone's good side, or or at least. Um, ruin your reputation because I think reputations are quite an important thing in um, in minority communities or it definitely is in the Sudanese and Egyptian communities. That is something I'm still learning how to deal with because a lot of the things I do are definitely not um, typical of people that uh, you know have grown up in Sudanese households or have grown up in Arab slash African households. But the way I've dealt with it is said to myself. As long as I'm holding on and as long as I'm standing by the morals and values that I feel are important and that's to do with the religion, then I'm okay. Because culture is something that can be changed. It's not something, and this is, I think, so important for us to remember. It's we, are, we form the culture. We get to choose what is part of the culture. You know, decades ago or hundreds of years ago um, in the Arab world, rampant misogyny and, you know, burying young girls alive was the norm. So, I mean, and and that was part of the culture, but that was not okay. Now, that's a that's an epic extreme, but my point is that cultures can change and they can change for the better or for the worse, but the way I, you know, it's not something that you should, I, th- I think that I should be bound by simply because that's the way we've always done it. As long as, you know, there's moral, all those core morals and values that sort of there and, um, and you abide by them or, or whatever principles that you live by, you you do live by and you hold yourself accountable, then the rest of the stuff um, is periphery. And I guess the difficult thing is then how do you be a part of a community when you're doing everything that's different? Uh, part of that is 
being sure of yourself. Um, and part of that is also deciding what you want to compromise for, um, for peace of mind because sometimes the battles aren't worth fighting. It just depends on, on how much you want to fight and how much, how important it is for you to do whatever it is you're doing that's challenging the norm. Hmm. And it's interesting you say that about um, uh, minority communities and that feeling the need to belong and to be part of something and that, and that pressure sometimes. Do you think that a lot of it, uh, particularly here in Australia, you know, many, many migrants might feel like they do have to perhaps change the way they, 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 they deal with the outside world in, in order for them to be seen as good and not causing trouble? Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's an, again, an interesting question around if minority communities feel like they have to be a certain way. I think there may be something in subconsciously in people's psyche in terms of not wanting to be troublemakers. And I think often, you know, when you come as migrants or, or refugees or asylum seekers or, or whichever way you come, you definitely, there's a sense of feeling very grateful um, and fortunate to be in that position. And so also wanting to cause as, as least trouble as possible sometimes. And I'm definitely very broadly generalizing. But also um, at the individual level, trying to find, you know, where where you sit in the broader societal culture and what you need to do to be accepted in that. It's tricky because it manifests in, in a variety of ways. And I think in Australia, we see some of that. We see some people that, you know, try to, to forget or not to forget or try to sort of leave where they came from and the cultures they came from behind and fully embrace everything about or, or fully embrace the ways and, and um social norms of, of their new country and some people that try to find a middle ground and then some that don't want to engage at all and, and sort of say, well, you know, I really want to hold on to where I've come from and I don't want to forget. And all of those um, different ways of dealing with things are understandable because it's incredibly, I think I've only just begun to understand how incredibly difficult it is to uproot everything that you know and everything that you're comfortable with to, to move to a world where you don't know the rules, you don't know what is okay, you don't know if you can trust the people around you. But you know, in the time and place that we're in, um, naturally, for example, if we look at um, Muslims and we look at uh, the Arabs and Africans that live um, in Australia in the West, it's there is an expectation almost. I think, I think the conversation's been... Um, unfortunately framed often in an us versus them sort of manner. And I think that has incredibly um, uh, destructive effects, particularly on young people. And I think it's important that we move beyond that. And, And that's something that we actually, you know, as individuals have to choose to do, to choose to move beyond the kind of rhetoric that we hear in the public space and say it's actually, there is no offer to them, there is no um, way that we have to be to be quote-unquote good. Um, you and, and I think that requires bravery from both sides, um, but I think we can't um, expect that one side is going to pick up and, and see, even even the way I'm talking about it now is is I'm talking about it in a sides manner, and that is something that you know because of the conversation that's around us in the public space, we we we're almost forced to pick a, a side when it it shouldn't necessarily be about sides. You know, it's not a um, you come in as as a migrant and you you join our side when you decide you're Australian and whatever whatever Austra- being Australian means. Mm. Um, so I think. 
I think it's incredibly difficult, incredibly complicated, but in Australia it's also interesting because we're a new country, relatively speaking. And so we are, I think we're still trying to figure out who we are as Australians. Mm. And so the reason why, um, part of the reason why we think um, Australians feel like they've got to make people get on board and join their quote-unquote side is because they're still trying to figure out what they value Mm. um, and, and fear is sometimes the easiest way to, to deal with stuff that you don't know. Yeah. So I want to change gears a little bit and go back uh, many, many years to your upbringing, your growing up. Um, and I'm interested to know what sort of girl you were, what you were interested in, just to get a sense of, you know, the woman that you are now. <laughs> I was I was a huge nerd. There was no two ways about it. I um. And I was definitely just as loud, I think. I um, I had a questions limit in primary school in my class because I would ask too many questions. And um, I guess I was always someone who, I wouldn't say I knew what I wanted, but I knew that um, I had a lot of energy and that I, I always wanted to put that energy somewhere. So the things I was interested in, you know, they weren't very different from any of the other sort of young girls in the sense, well, I really like science. I really like dinosaurs. Um, my grade two sort of drawing had me wanting to be an astronaut, I think. And, and all through primary school, I wanted to be some form of scientist. Um, I was I probably like, you know, as, as any sort of young girl goes through, you go through all the different phases of being cool and not being cool. And because I went to a, a community primary school, we were you know, we were a very, very tight-knit community. Um, but I think I was someone who my parents... I was quite academic, um, but also interested in sports. But my, my main... I come from a very academic family, and so we. I guess I grew up in a family where we would have discussions about everything all the time, and that was the world that I grew up in, where it was about intellectual stimulation, it was about listening to the news, it was about critically analysing, no matter how young you are, it was about you know make trying to make sense of the world around us, and also my like I my dad's an engineer, so it was about learning how to change a tap and you know building the guinea pig cage and we wanted to get guinea pigs and so on. I had a younger brother, and I have a younger brother who's uh, three and a half years younger than me, and um, I always I I always took a sort of I took my role as a big sister very seriously. I, I um, would set up class for my little brother and teach him ABC and grammar and and so on and so forth so I I think you know from a young age I was I had a lot of energy and I always wanted to do stuff and I think the way I am now is testament to my parents and the fact that they nurtured all of those different outlets they all of those different expressions of who I wanted to be they were uh, incredibly um, incredibly generous I think in that way um and although there were a lot of things they didn't necessarily they may not necessarily have been comfortable with me doing they as long as there was a purpose and from an educational point of view because then sort of i'm to a, a christian ecumenical high school as long as there was an educational purpose for it they were always willing to have me involved so whether it was you know me going on some school camp that maybe other Muslim parents wouldn't have let them go to or um, enrolling in, in different sports and so on. They were they were generous enough to allow me to do that, which was which was really cool. Mm. And then I suppose that my community sort of side of things started very early as well because my parents were always 
always engaged in the community. And that was something that I felt was almost my duty. It was just something, um, it's like, I guess the, the daughter of doctors naturally assumes that she's going to be a doctor. The sort of people that were active in the community naturally assumes that that's what she's going to spend a lot of time doing. And, and that's where I've ended up. So I guess that sort of led to you now working on an oil rig. Yeah, so definitely a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a change there. So I guess I've still got all this sort of community stuff happening. But interestingly, I think the other part, the other aspect of working with the community that my parents um, brought me up with was this concept of it is very important to have that community side of things but also very important to have a profession and that's I think it's never something that was said um, explicitly but I think it was something that was sort of um, underlying a lot of the conversations we had was you know if you and it's, it's around and I think it comes from this idea of wanting safety and security for your for your kids right and I've only really sort of become aware of it recently in the sense that I've maybe picked a, a safer path of having a profession as well as doing the things I'm interested in as a way to sort of um, make sure my bases are covered. So I've got I've got the passion, but I've also got the day job, which, which I also enjoy. But how did I end up on the rings? Um, well, I, I studied mechanical engineering and I always wanted to, well, I'd, I'd sort of gone into it for two reasons. One, because I loved cars and I wanted to work in Formula One. Um, and secondly, because I, I knew that I wanted to sort of help the world, essentially. I wanted to do something um, that would be of benefit to others. But I wanted it to be a tangible thing. I wanted my contribution. I sort of, I would I would see all my, you know, all the people around me doing law and arts and international relations and politics, and that was fantastic. But... I thought to myself, if I do those jobs or if I do that study, how will I be any different from any other law and arts student who, you know, may be so much better than me in that space? Like, what what could I add different? How can I add value to this conversation? And so that came, that was part of why I also chose engineering because I thought, here's a skill that I could use tangibly um, to make a difference in the world. Now, in order to do that, I also need experience as an engineer and um, I'd gone to the UK uh, to sort of follow my dream of, of working in F1 and I, I essentially made that happen in the sense that I got into a quite an exclusive master's in motorsport. I, um, I went and travelled and visited a whole bunch of race teams and was offered work experience in, in one of them, um, Mercedes F1. But then there was a point when I realised that and this is one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, I think, that although I cared a lot and I really loved the idea of working in Formula One, I couldn't necessarily justify spending all my life and, and spending all the opportunities my parents had provided um, in this field because I felt like although although it added value to me and, and was exciting and cutting edge, it didn't necessarily add value to the rest of the world in the direct way that I had imagined that I wanted to do. And so I came back to Australia um, and sort of looked for, for a different opportunity. And this is part of why I say I'm an experienced junkie or an adventure junkie because I just thought, well, what else could be really fun? I don't necessarily want to go into a grad position um, sitting in the office at the moment. What could be fun? And, and I found the job to work on the oil and gas rigs. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a bit of an adventure. Let me try that. And the rest is history.
Wow. That's that's really incredible and really interesting. Um, I just love that you just you just pursue what you find interesting and we'll give it a go and uh, and I'm willing to do it, which is which I think is really great. I wanted to know, you know, from from the bits of interviews that I've seen of you or or, or photos that I've seen of you online, you've you've got a very bold um, a sense of style, which I don't know if if that's deliberate. Is it is it, is it an expression of your personality? And and because uh, you just look fab all the time, and I'm just trying to figure out how that is. What do you think about fashion and style, and how does that work in with with your personality and and with your work? Thank you. Thanks for the um, very high compliment. It's um, it's quite funny because I look at photos of myself when I was in early sort of high school and so on, and I was not interested in fashion, which is, and it's really funny because it's like a big part of my life now. I definitely feel like I can express my personality through the way I dress. Um, and so it's, it's, it's so funny looking at photos of me when I was quite young. I think... I look up until probably the second year of uni, I put absolutely no thought into how I dressed. I maybe um I loved big jangly earrings and, you know, diva accessories and so on. But I was by and large kind of a bit of a, a dorky kid, you know, I would wear socks and sandals and um wouldn't really think and I guess I was a little bit of a tomboy. And so the idea that um I would I would dress in a way that was maybe even slightly masculine, um, you know, even, even though there were, there were particular elements of style and, or, or, or taste that I would, I would think about. It was, it was a relatively um, uninspired look, I would, I would say. But funnily enough, a couple of things happened um, in, in senior uni. So I was about 18, actually. I discovered blogs. So this was kind of like way back before fashion blogs were a big thing. This was sort of 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, and I think most most of my discovery was happening in 2008. You know, blogs were just starting to come out. And there was this one particular website called The Satiralist. Um, and there was this guy that was just taking photos of different people, you know, in America and around the world. And it was just everyday people. It was everyday people in everyday fashion, but they looked cool and they looked awesome and they looked individual. And you could tell people's, um, you can tell about people's personality through the way they dressed. And the other thing that happened kind of funnily, I went on my first overseas trip by myself and it was an engineering um, camp essentially for three weeks, but it was in Paris. And funnily enough, they lost my luggage. So the plane lost my luggage for three, for the whole time. I didn't get my luggage until I got back in Brisbane. So it was kind of I had no clothes. I had essentially one change of clothes that I'd carried in my hand, like in my in my carry-on luggage. And lo and behold, I had to, you know, build a whole new wardrobe in Paris. And I think for the first, and you know, it also coincided with the fact that there were a lot of sales on at the time. And so for the first time in my life, I had access to fashion that. I could choose from essentially like I could pick my styles I could decide what I wanted to look like and I could be inspired by the people around me and so I think from that point it was sort of mid 2009 when that sort of all happened I more and more started to think about the way I dress and making it a bit more of my own and I think the other interesting thing is 
and particularly as a Muslim woman, you know, people have a particular idea of what a Muslim woman should look like and how she should dress uh, from within the Muslim community, but also externally. So it's been fascinating to be, you know, someone who tries different styles, um, but also still, you know, strongly, um, I see myself as a, a, a covered woman. But the way that I cover isn't necessarily the, the way people expect me to. And I, I have a little bit of fun with that because people don't always assume that I'm Muslim. And so it's a really interesting conversation when they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, link that with that. Um, tell me more about it. Or I guess I just like changing things up a little bit. I like, I really like having fun with color, with, with shape, um, with accessories in terms of, um, you know, the stories that you can tell. And I also really like collecting pieces from places I travel. So in, scarves are a big one, but also um, jewellery and that sort of thing. I really, yeah, I like the idea of telling stories through the way that I dress because, you know, and I don't necessarily think of it as... Um, as a restrictive thing in the sense that I think a lot of a lot of women um, may, well, some women may be of the opinion that if you focus too much on, on you know, what you dress, that may not be a great thing or, um, you know, it's, 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 it may be seen as superficial to care a lot about fashion. But for me, on the contrary, I, I enjoy getting dressed, I think. I enjoy having fun with the different options. And I enjoy the challenge, I suppose, of... of um, of finding my my identity through the way that I'm seen in the world. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting because um you know part of the thing that inspired uh, this series was uh, something that um the author Chimamanda Adichie said about about women, and she said that you know you can be a babe and you can be brilliant, um and that the two are not mutually exclusive. And sometimes you know as women it does feel like you know we we put these pressures on ourselves that just because you're smart and you're kicking ass in the world. You can't necessarily care about, you know, the fact that, you know, you love print and you love colour and, yeah. and, and and you love clothes. Definitely. And and I think maybe that was part of my reluctance as well. I was an academic chick who didn't, you know, who cared about serious issues. Like, was it right of me to be caring about how I looked? But I also think that... Um, that that's that societal sort of expectation that you have to be one or the other or even and I don't know whether that's sort of linked to some sort of um, uh, I guess link with the patriarchy in the sense that you know um, you, and, I, and I haven't really thought this through but I think there's definitely something there around you know saying uh, am I am I choosing to dress this way to please uh, to be visually pleasing to men and so on and so forth I think it's I think we can choose to be so beyond that. I read an interesting conversation, sorry, an interesting article that was talking about how professional women shouldn't compliment each other in the workforce about the way they look because, you know, because men don't do that and it's it's belittling. When I, my reaction to that was no. I love it when I see other women dress fantastically and I want to tell them because it's something that's obviously put thought in and it's something that will make them feel better whether whether we like the fact that you know our appearance makes us feel better or not is a completely different conversation but I think we don't necessarily have to be dictated by the way the may the men operate if if I think um I'm professional like okay, maybe that shouldn't be the only thing that I talk to her about. But if I think she looks fabulous, I'm going to tell her she looks fabulous because it's, you know, it's a point of connection as well. And it's also, you know, appreciating that aesthetic beauty. And I definitely think that we shouldn't think, you know, being being quote-unquote a babe and being brilliant are, are mutually exclusive because then it restricts, it restricts us and we should never feel that, we're, that we are restricted in that way. 
So I want to find out about you outside all of these spheres, you know. So when when you're not kicking ass on oil rigs or doing all the social advocacy things that you're doing, how do you how do you how do you unwind? How do you make time for yourself? It's actually like the most boring stuff, really. So I I I'm a massive fan of a bunch of random TV series. So I definitely am a person that has sat down and that continuously does sit down and, you know, binges on a couple of TV slash episodes slash series, you know, when I'm trying to unwind. And I think I, I quite enjoy comedy as well. So I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. Um, and I definitely, that's something that I get a, a real kick out of. But I'm also, I suppose, a bit of a social person. So something that's been interesting, having now moved to Perth, is developing a new social life and, and deciding, you know, what I do enjoy spending my time with, uh, who I do enjoy spending my time with and what I like doing. So I've taken... I've taken up things like sailing, um, which is a completely random sport for someone, you know, born in Sudan, but it has been really, really fun. Um, and I, I'm, I've always liked the idea of, of being physically strong, and this is something that i um, loved since I was quite young, since I was probably starting high school. And so um, things like, yeah, cycling or, or, or powerlifting and stuff like that is definitely something that I do. But unwinding, unwinding is definitely sitting down watching a couple of you know tv episodes of either the wire or the west wing or you know i've just got into the unbreakable kimmy schmidt which i think is hilarious um awesome stand-up comedy and good food i'm a big fan of good food <laughs> um and my a few of my mates have gotten into the whole raw thing and although i'm um, not necessarily all about eating clean all the time. It's definitely been fun to sort of discover that, I, that I've got some sort of cooking skills. Um, so, yeah, I guess for me it's, a, it's all about um, enjoying where I am. And I, and I, oh, I, can't, I can't believe I, I forgot. I, I love reading and I would love being transported into a different world. That's something that I don't always have time for anymore, but I always treasure when I do get the opportunity. You, before you talked about the places that you visited, you know, pursuing, you know, certain career goals and, and things that you wanted to experience. Do you travel for fun? You know, um, I haven't really traveled just for vacation um, for a very long time. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting. I was reflecting on this recently. I love the idea of traveling, but my dad, always brought us up with this concept of everything has to be done for a purpose so I've never really sort of just been like oh my god let's go to Bali to hang out kind of thing it will be like okay there's a conference in Bali let's go to the conference and then I'll add on a couple of extra days to you know check the place out so um I haven't yet really just traveled for the sake of traveling it's always really been associated with some sort of work part of me thinks that's a good thing in the sense that I'm always like you know maximizing the utilization of my time but part of me you know thinks I'll get to a point where I'll I'll just want to chill uh, but I've, I guess I'm not really used to doing that at this stage so um I I don't know it's something that I could pro- I could probably get into but um but I haven't had the chance to just yet and how do you balance relationships and all that sort of stuff that also comes with you know being a young woman in the world <laughs> Well, this is definitely relationships is definitely the the topic on all all our young women tongues. If that makes sense, that sounded really bizarre. Um, especially <laughs> sort of as a as a young Muslim woman who likes doing things with my life, um, it's 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 not easy, right? I'll I'll be I'll be honest. Um, particularly growing up in Australia, I grew up with you know mostly 
Like, the guys that I hung out with were mostly Anglo, non-Muslim boys. And so my taste in boys isn't necessarily conducive to what I have to end up with. So it's definitely been interesting. This is definitely more open... Uh, I haven't really spoken about this in the public space very often. Um, I don't really know how all of that's going to sort itself out. Um, A lot of my friends are getting married at the moment and they're having kids and that's like beautiful and wonderful. Um, And I'm sure that, you know, I I guess I have faith um, that it'll all kind of work out. But it does end up being a bit tricky. And weirdly, um, sometimes... I don't necessarily understand it, but people have said to me, you know, Yasmin, you're an intimidating person, even though you're friendly and this and that, it's because you come with all of these things that you've done. Um, people don't know how to, how to deal with that. And for me, that's like, I'm like, man, that's such a weak excuse. But you know, it's, it's something that particularly as a strong woman, um, I think it, it it's maybe something a lot of other strong women have, have sort of come across is the idea that you don't necessarily fit the gender role that society has always said that we need to fit. Mm. So how do you make sense of that? I'm still figuring that one out. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was, um, you know, much younger, I'm still young, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I used to get that thing a lot about, you know, oh, Santis, because you really you intimidate men, you've got a lot going on, you, you're ambitious, you're driven, you know, some Sometimes men get scared. And for a while, I actually used to buy into it. And I used to sort of think maybe, you know, I have to, you know, how do I, should I smile more? And so there were times when I used to look really silly because I'd walk into a room and I'd just have like this constant smile on my face because I'm thinking I just don't I want to disarm people. And it was only, I think in the last 18 months or so, and I was sitting sort of thinking and, you know, reflecting on my life and kind of going, look, I like my life as it is. And it was only through conversations with women who were much, much older and have gone on to do amazing things that they actually made me realize realize that it's not about you having to change who you are or having to be anything else and it's like you know the right person does eventually come along and I think sometimes as women we give each other mixed messages about what it is um, we should be getting out of the world when we already know the answer from the beginning just be yourself and the rest just Mm. falls into place. I think you're completely right and I think you know there's, there's a couple of things that I think about in this space one is that you know Hopefully, the guy's already born. So whoever I'm going to end up with is already out there somewhere doing his thing and living his life. So no, I'm not too stressed about that. And I guess the other thing is that you, that I completely said that I completely agree with is that it's not about us changing who we are because if the person's intimidated, then they're obviously not the right person for us, right? It's about finding who, and I'm about equal partnership. I want to find, you know, what I'm looking for is that person who's going to be my, like, PIC, my partner in crime in life, essentially. Um, and that person will come along and, and I'm sure, you know, they'll sort of, they'll fit and it'll feel normal and natural and it won't be something that you feel like you have to change for. Because at the end of the day, whoever you sort of end up with is someone you want to spend a lot of time with and you want to be able to build a life with. And building a life... It's, I read an interesting quote the other day that I really liked and it was like, well, if you haven't found who you're going to marry, maybe that's a good thing because maybe it means you're not ready for it just yet because it's one of the hardest things you're ever going to have to do is build a life with somebody else. Um, and right now, I mean, I'm, I, I'm in the same place. I really, I feel really blessed and really lucky to live the life that I'm living at the moment. But I'm also living a selfish life. I do what I want to do with my time. I don't have to think about anyone else. And, you know, perhaps 
I don't actually, perhaps right now is not a good time in my life for that. And so I'm a big believer in fate and I think things will work out when they need to um, and when the right time is. And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I enjoy life um, up and, and take it as it comes. Mm. So speaking of quotes, um, do you have like a life philosophy? Do you have anything that you live by that you sort of go, yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell? Um, I, I suppose it depends on the back, on my phone, on my background of my phone, um, it says realize how blessed you are. And I think that's something that I always need to, like, I think it's important to remind myself is that I've been so incredibly blessed to be in the place that I am at the moment that I have to take up every opportunity. You know, I have to make the most of it. I have to give back because I'm so lucky to be here um, that I can't afford to, to waste any of those, um, yeah, any, any of those chances, essentially. Somebody recently um, said I was, I'm the kind of person that immerses myself in worlds, and I think that's also true. I, I love, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, sailing or boxing or motorsport or the oil and gas rigs or whatever it is that I try that I'm vaguely interested in, I'll I'll get interested in it, and then I will pursue that, and I will go full on. Um, and then just depending on whether or not I like it or whether or not I have the time, I will either stay with it or not, but I will go full bore because I, I love the idea of immersing myself in a completely different world and learning about you know, the different cultures and customs and the way different people do things and trying to see people um, and trying to see yeah, through different perspectives. Um, the other question I always ask myself is, you know, what impact do I want to have? Like, or just because I think it's it's important for me to constantly remind myself that it's about having impact at the end of the day, right? Like, all yeah, I'm I'm religious, I'm spiritual, and I'm about you know saying, well, what legacy is it that I'm going to leave, um, and how. And how do I, you know, keep that front of mind all the time? To find out more about Yasmin and catch other episodes of Babe and Brilliant, simply visit weareGrio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-G-R-I-O-T.com. Thanks for listening.